Hey folks, thanks for checking out the 21 Gun Podcast. I'm your host as always, Kevin Sullivan. I'm a little, I'm a little beat up <laughs> today because uh, yesterday me and a bunch of irreverent warriors did a Go Ruck 12 miler in Raleigh. And if you're used to doing Silky's hikes, that's one thing. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to crush this thing. But take a Silky's hike, add a few miles, and then narrow it down to three and a half hours. And it kicked my ass, to be honest with you. But, you know, sometimes that's what it's about. It's about going out there and embracing the suck with your brothers and sisters and getting other folks out of isolation, reaching out and, and doing all that stuff. So it was a good time. Uh, I, I think I'll do another one. So if I do one, I will put uh, a link or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll just put something out there and, and feel free to email me and we'll get you on a team. Other announcements, uh, we are doing live shows now every Thursday night at 8 p.m. I think it's going to be every Thursday night. I still like doing these one-on-one -on -one interviews uh, with authors and stuff like that. So maybe like once a week, I'll do one of these episodes like that you're going to listen to now. But we'll figure that out. Until then, Thursday night, you can tune into the uh, Irreverent Warriors main page, Facebook, and go to 21. I mean, it's going to be on all the pages. So um, just tune in, and we're going to have various Irreverent Warriors. We'll have some, we'll just have a lot of people on. It'll be fun. It's going to be laid back. I'm, I really enjoy doing those episodes, and uh, we get a lot of good feedback. So I hope you enjoy them too. Tonight's episode is with Jeff Morris. He is a former Army infantry officer, a public speaker, author of Legion Rising, and founder of the Legion 8 Foundation. His book, Legion Rising, is amazing. It's one of the, you'll hear me talk about it in the episode, but I would say it's one of my top three books out of the uh, global war and terror that I've actually had the pleasure of reading. Fantastic book. The guy's got a great story, great outlook on life. Um, you know, he, he had some struggles coming out of active duty and coming back from, from his service in Iraq, uh, but he, he came through, and I think it's an important story for uh, any veteran or really anybody who's struggling with uh, personal redemption, um, reliving events in their past. Uh, he does a great job with that. So without further ado, Jeff Morris. So man, what you what you what you think of the book? You able to were you able to make it all the way through? Okay, so yeah, absolutely. Um, there's I wanted to tell you this from the get go. There's there's two books that I've read now from the global. Well, I'll say three. There's three books I've read from the global war and terror. Well, I've read about fifty with my interviews, but there, I, I have a t I have a top three now uh, in no particular order. I don't know. Are you familiar with um, uh, Scott Husing and Echo and Ramadi? You know, it's funny. I actually I, I purposely listened uh to his podcast with you last okay uh, today i listened to it today and i've heard several uh of him and and i, I don't know the guy I, I follow him on instagram i don't think he follows me back uh we swapped one message one time a couple of messages through dm mm -hmm. and uh, i've read the book it's incredible and yeah. it will in some ways uh, some of what we'll see you know i'll, I'll just follow you wherever the conversation goes sure. uh that guy and I, we are kindred spirits, man. I know, Just I know, man. leadership philosophies yeah. and the way we, it's, I, sometimes I feel bad. Like I, I, in fact, I was on a different podcast a while back and 
someone asked me a question and I said, well, man, I'm going to sound a lot like the guest you had two weeks ago. Yeah. And I'm not copying, but this has been, it's, it's pretty uncanny how, how similar we are. Yeah, I'd love to meet him sometime. That, that's, I mean, it's the first thing I thought of. And he, he's a very nice guy. He's, he's everywhere. Um, but I can connect you to, and you know, I know, I know networking is kind of an important thing, especially when you're talking about um, Absolutely. books and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, I'll definitely connect you guys. I was actually just texting him today, telling him about your book. And I said, you got to check this out. Um, so you two, right? Uh, you're in that list. Uh, after I finish this, I'm like, yep, it's in that list. And then the other one's Nate Fix, um, One Bullet Away, The Making of Marine Corps Officer. Uh, he was one of the lieutenants in the Generation Kill um, okay. world. I, I don't know if you read that that book. I think they made a series of it, too. Uh, I haven't read it, but not familiar with Generation Kill, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, both, or, I mean, all three, you guys, I'm not going to say who's number one, uh, but yeah, fantastic book. No, hey, that's, that's uh, well, no, first, thank you, man. And that's some pretty, uh, and, and while having not read the other one, having read Echo and Ramadi and knowing what I know about him, that's uh, that's pretty select company. So thank you. Sure. Hey, no problem. And uh, I, I should watch out what I say, but I get so many books and, you know, you know, cause people want to obviously plug their stuff. And, and sometimes you get like two or three pages in and you're like, Oh God, <laughs> did he use crayons with this? And I, yeah. I work through it and then, and then, you know, I, I do everything I can. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, like early on when I wanted to get into these, heck yeah, it was about plugging the book and, you know, trying to get the awareness and I'm not naive. And I talked about it when I was on with, with Ritland, it was, it was funny. My publisher, uh, excuse my my agent who is an awesome guy and can't believe I got on with a guy like this. And, you know, he's done a lot of the big boys out there and he just had a lot of very glowing things to say about the book. And he's like, man, you know, Jeff, I think this thing in the right audience, you know, if we can get the word out, will really take off because it, these are his words, not mine. Uh, he's like, this is one of the better ones. I've read a lot of books in this space and this is one of the better ones. He said, the problem is, he said, I'll just be completely blunt with you. Nobody has any idea who in the hell you are and you weren't a seal. You weren't a, a Delta guy or anything like that. And so, uh, he's like, but you know, I, I still want to, to be behind you with the book. So a lot of it early on, I, I bring that up not to toot our own horn. And when I say our, you know, me and my co-writer, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, early on, it was all about plugging the book and getting the word out there. And now I've done, I've done enough of these now and while well, we can talk about the book and I'm more than happy of it, I, I don't want to do podcasts anymore that are plugging the book. I want to talk about things and, and my story, which, yeah, are a part of the book. But sure. in no way do I have any expectation of, you know, hey, let's make sure every 10 minutes we talk about Legion Rising or you won't hear me mention, you know, when I wrote Legion Rising and maybe here or there. But, yeah, I just want to get out and tell my story, man, because I think there's so many people that can relate to it. And like what you talked about is, you know, just – yeah, man, I went through some shit, man. I went through some really bad shit. And, you know, but when you got out, if you looked on, if you just saw me after that, you would think everything was great, man. This guy that, you know, got a good job and looked like he had everything together, man. Inside, I was a hot mess. And, you know, I pissed away five years of my life doing that. Uh, yeah. but was able to, you know, to fight through that. So that's what I think. And it's, it's no unique story. You've had numerous guests and there's tons of podcasts out there. I just think the power of this platform is people connect with different people. That's right. And sometimes it can be the same story just told through a different voice. And if that can inspire someone to say, you know what, man, I just, I relate to that guy for, you know, I relate to Scott or I relate to Jeff, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, that's what I, that's my goal in doing these now. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's a noble goal because 
I'll get, I'll get emails from people that will thank me, you know, Hey, I didn't even think of this. I didn't think of that. And I'm like, you know, I did, this is all volunteer. It's all nonprofit. I don't make, you know, I don't do anything commercial on this. And some mm-hmm. days, you know, like it's eight thirty. I started my day at six thirty. <laughs> right there with your brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, reading, yeah. you know, doing my clinic stuff and whatever. And when it comes down to it, you, you, you know, the 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 payoff is that we're reaching each other, a, and we're not being our our grandparents' generation. They were kind of like this, and and I kind of tried to model myself like this. They were the the stoic, quiet guys who never talked yep. about the war. Um, I think the big difference is, you know, a a lot of them didn't talk about the war and that's okay, but a lot of people did talk about the war because it was so massive history Mm -hmm. books and, and, you know, the movies and, and I mean, it was such a, I don't want to use this term, but a popular war that we knew the stories. And I think, I think, you know, by nature and kind of the American culture, we're, we're humble, I guess, to some extent, you know, we don't like to wear, you go to Great Britain and they wear their medals on their suit jackets, right? (laughs) Um, <laughs> yep. But here we don't do that. The global war on terror is, I mean, I, I was doing some calculations. It's like a half a percent of the population served there. After mm-hmm. September 11th in Iraq and Afghanistan, I mean, it was like 2010 and people were saying, we still in there, you know? There, yeah. there wasn't a, a great sacrifice. There wasn't the, oh, and, you know, extend that over 20 years and it becomes this thing where I, I think it's our duty to speak up because a lot of people lost their lives and that those stories need to be told. Oh, dude, a hundred percent agree. And, you know, I, I laugh now of just trying to consider myself, you know, that grizzled old veteran that like, you know, <laughs> mentors, young kids going in the army, but like literally, I mean, I have friends of mine that have kids that are 18 now, 19, somewhere that age who weren't even born September 11th, yeah, but that's... now we're thinking about joining and they're reaching out to me to talk to their kids. And I'm like, holy shit. One thing uh, you brought up at the beginning there, which I think is a very, I mean, it, it, to me, it is pinnacle in importance of mental health and overall health for veterans. And that's getting your damn diet and getting your, your, your body in check. Yeah, I've always been in good shape. And then it was, you know, rewind, you know, doing CrossFit and Legion 8 workout. And, you know, then I kind of, stopped doing CrossFit, had a little injury, uh, which I'd like to tell you was something cool. I got food poisoning and <laughs> I was throwing up so hard that I partially tore an oblique. Oh, no way. And it, it was miserable. I mean, absolute miserable. So that put me on the shelf for about six months and then wife started traveling. So I built a garage gym and just started kind of modifying. So anyway, I, I felt like I was working out and eating pretty decent for the most part, but I wasn't focusing on the recovery aspect of it. Uh, and then my diet as much as I should. And we'd, you know, we'd just been doing the same thing over and over. So I said, man, I got to shake it up. Uh, so I started doing kind of a modified version of intermittent fasting to start off. I just had a smoothie in the morning mm-hmm. just, to, to get going. And then I started doing yoga. Uh, and, that's just, I, I bought one of those Theragun things. Oh, my dude, wife dude. was like, holy shit, you're going to spend that much money. And uh, I'm looking like, around <laughs> for the, for the cameras in my house. Cause you were describing my life right now. But. Oh, dude. And man, so I got one of those uh, yeah, and then, you know, I've always had allergies and the lady that cleans our house, I feel bad calling her a cleaning lady. She's like a family friend now. She's mm-hmm. awesome. She's all into holistic like oils and stuff. And so we bought these little things. I mean, I was popping, 
so I don't, I didn't talk about the book. So I have a fracture in my spine, my lower spine from that car bomb on September 12th. And Mm -hmm. so I get some sciatic nerve pain going down all the time. So, I mean, for probably the last two or three years, I mean, just popping two ibuprofen every night, just to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, And I'm like, dude, I'm just tearing myself up inside. Yeah. That'll screw up your heart too. A lot of people realize that. Screw up your heart. And the closer you get to 50, it'll beat up your kidneys too. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And so, man, I just, I quit the ibuprofen. I quit the Zyrtec every day and she got us some oils and we had these little machines that we put oil in every day and they just spray it throughout the house. And I started doing yoga and I Theragun and I did the modified version of intermittent fasting and then went full intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. And my body feels incredible. I'm 46 years old and just as good as I have ever felt. And I've gone down from being around, you know, I'm five ten. I always kind of, you know, is up around 200, low two hundreds. And, you know, now I'm down low one nineties, uh, just, you know, cardio's killing it. And just to me, it's not even like, I, I don't try to lift as much heavy. I was always that guy for, for a smaller guy, at least, you know, playing football, I was real strong for my size. And even mm-hmm. in CrossFit, that's what I wanted to do. And they're like, I'm 46 years old, man. No one gives a shit how much I squat or clean a jerk anymore. <laughs> that's a- so yeah, man, I just started focusing on the the little things and it, it's just been life-changing the last, since March to now, I, I'm not over-exaggerating when I say life-changing, how much better my body feels. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, you brought up something funny there. The, um, I, I, I joked on my old podcast that, you know, I used to go to the gym, so I look good at the beach and now I go to the gym so I don't die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the only reason. I'm like, I don't want to die early. I guess I'll go lift something heavy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, and I, I see it, I guess, from both sides, um, being in a, a medical provider. And I have all these people on what we call polypharmacy. So they're on, you know, 20 different medications. Mm. And I know yep. for a fact you can't feel good on that many, that many medications. And so I, I say, hey, do you know what? Just, just try skipping breakfast. And then I, it's inevitably met with i can't you know i can't yeah. do that um okay j- let's just cut out um let's just cut out wheat make wheat your enemy don't go near wheat you know if, if speaking diabetics right i, I can't do yeah. that i need my um my pasta or i need my and it's like everyone has they feel like shit but they have their 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 vices that they can't get rid of and, and i understand it i mean when you get down to the root of it uh I mean, I forget what the percentage of people who are on antidepressants, but it's it's remarkably high. People are stressed, people are nervous, uh, people are anxious, and when you eat something that's delicious and highly rewarding, it it is one of the best releases of anxiety oh, yeah. that's there. And and people don't want to. Uh, uh, another way we put it is, you know, a, a woman who who wakes up in the morning, and I say woman because there was a study where they asked. Um, I can't remember thousands of women if they considered themselves beautiful and something like 3% answered yes. So that tells you that these people are waking up, looking in the mirror, hating themselves from the get go. And then I'm telling them that that Frappuccino that they get from, from Starbucks, it's full of sugar and all that garbage that makes them feel so good. Now we're taking that away from you. And it's, yeah. it's just so, and, and then you can, you can, you know, mirror that into, you know, all aspects, all my, my veteran friends who are all banged up and suffering and, and, you know, but I can't, I can't not have my beer at night. And it's like, I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I'm more or, yeah. or less just bitching right now. Cause I don't know what the no, answer I, is. I'm right there. You know, look, it was always, you know, I came in from work and had a beer or two, a glass of wine with dinner and I still do sometimes. It's sure. just, I don't 
need that every night. Like yeah. I was, you know, I wasn't getting drunk every night. It was always told everybody, I'm like, man, I couldn't tell you the last time I got drunk. Uh, you know, it was, I, I drink often, but not a lot. Right. And again, just cut back on that. And it's just, it was just the habit of it. It was, uh, you're right. We all know the right thing to do. The right thing is the hard thing to do. It's very and hard. There, there's days where, you know, yeah, look, Sunday morning, man, you know, my wife had just left. Saturday was a shit show with the kids. They've mm-hmm. been great since then. So guess what, man? You know, Sunday morning, I went and got a McDonald's bacon, <laughs> egg, and cheese biscuit, man, and it felt damn good. Yeah. But it's just not doing that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's 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 where you run into the, the yeah. difficulty. Um. Let's get a little backstory. So, so where did you grow up and, um, you know, uh, let's go from there. Yeah. So man, I was born in, uh, Alabama, uh, small town. No one's ever heard of Alexander city, but moved to Destin, Florida, little mm-hmm. beach town down sure. in the panhandle of Northwest Florida. Uh, when I was four, Southern so Alabama, right? That, yeah. Might as well be man. <laughs> you know, the, the redneck Riviera, which is actually more towards Panama city, but yeah. Destin over time, Destin used to always kind of consider itself the, the high class, but as, as time has gone on, some of the, the redneck pieces, uh, has definitely invaded that place. I wear that redneck badge with pride. But yeah, man. So grew up there, uh, very humble upbringings. You know, people, you, you think Destin, you think beach town, resort town. And, you know, I always say, well, there's, you know, you got to have people that uh, wash the dishes in those restaurants and, and you know, wait tables or, mm-hmm. or bartend or clean the hotels. And that was my family. My parents got divorced when I was young. Uh, they actually got divorced right after I was born. And don't remember that, of course, but then for some reason got remarried and then got, uh, they split again when I was five. And so, you know, it was, uh, not good memories or times. I I remember that stuff. Uh, and you know, my, my dad and I get along well now, so I choose not to, uh, relive some of those things from back in that day. Let's just say it wasn't a, wasn't a good environment. And I think ultimately kind of set the stage for, me and what instilled this desire in me to uh, stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Sure. Cause you've and, always, it seems like you always had a, a desire to serve. Um, I don't think your book, you say exactly when it started, but it seemed like since a young age. Yeah. And, and I think some of that just stems from, uh, and again, you can read into things here uh, at an early age, I learned to hate bullies mm-hmm. and uh, the, the service piece uh, came from, uh, again, like I said, standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Uh, but yeah, man, so single mom for a while, uh, you know, me and my older brother, he's a couple of years older than me, uh, great guy. We're polar opposites. We get along incredibly well, uh, but could not be, uh, any further different. He's the artistic, uh, musically inclined one. And I can't draw a stick figure or play an <laughs> instrument to save my life, but you know, and athletics weren't her thing, his thing, but yeah, man, we got along great. And then, you know, my mom met my stepdad, uh, got remarried. So yeah, just, a you know, it was a very, you don't know much as a kid, uh, but looking back now, you know, just, uh, a very simple life, you know, a hard life and had to probably do things that I look back in retrospect and, you know, yeah, that probably wasn't normal to, uh, you know, be at home, you know, you're six and your brother's eight and you're home alone and the security guard in the apartment complex is coming to check in on you. Wow. Uh, cause mom's bartending at night and then mom gets off and, you know, mom comes in and wakes you up and then goes and we do the paper route, you know, from, you know, midnight to two, three in the morning and you're back there rolling newspapers just to make ends meet. 
Uh, but you know, again, you don't realize that as a kid, man, my mom, you know, just the greatest inspiration in my life. Incredible. Just her, her work ethic. And, uh, you don't recognize that when you're that young, but I look back now and just the, the lessons that taught me of, uh, of hard work and, you know, you, you just do what you got to do to make, to, to get by. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. I mean, we, we're, we're kind of struggling right now because, uh, you know, life has been good and, you know, we're, we're living kind of a nice little area of North Carolina. Um, it's, it's basically suburbia. It's yuppie suburbia. And oh, right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I go outside and my kids, you know, I, I make them earn money. I make them do all that stuff, but still they're, they're, there's no struggle. There's no struggle in their life and all their little friends outside have no struggle. And we're thinking, you know, I, I grew up, uh, my dad, working class family. My dad was an engineer and then was a carpenter. And if I wasn't playing, I was helping him build stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I look at that and I say, what am I, what am I creating with my kids? This, this expectation of comfort where not everything's comfortable. So we're, we're looking now to, to bail on suburbia and buy a ranch and get some animals <laughs> and say, Hey, guess what? It's four 30. You got to get up. <laughs> you have David, things now that I depend think there's on. cameras in my house because my wife and I have been discussing, uh, pretty heavy talks of let's get some land. Even if we don't move out there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just from a, a school system standpoint of where we're at, we're very fortunate. Uh, but at least, you know, all right, Hey, this is where we're going to be during the week on the weekend. It's time to go to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I want my kids to have the work ethic when they're older. I think that will, that will help, you know, I mean, if it can't, uh, it, how about two, you know, if you have the land, you can go out there and camp, you can go out there and, you know, put some tannerite up and blow some stuff up, you know, show yeah. <laughs> four wheelers, show them, you know, what it's like to, to, to live a little bit, because this is really, sometimes it feels like the Truman show. I mean, it, it's, it's just, you know, you get in your car, you wave to your neighbor and his, you know, um, Lexus. And I mean, I'm, I fall right into it. I drive a stupid Tesla. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, what have I become? Oh. Oh. Man, you, brother, you're preaching to the choir. I, I just, there's just, and it's interesting you say that and in COVID and I'm probably putting the car away before the horse here, but mm-hmm. like when all this stuff hit and I know you've had conversations with other guests about it, like. And look, it's been terrible. It's had a significant impact on many people's lives. Oh, yeah. Uh, but for me personally, it has been the ultimate reset button because it caused me to just stop and take a look of, you know, everything that I've always prided myself on doing. Not that I wasn't doing it anymore, but I was kind of taking the easy way out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not really like, you know, like, who am I? And, and who is Jeff as a person? What kind of husband do I want to be? What kind of son do I want to be? What kind of father do I want to be? And the, the stuff that really was the most important to me, I was kind of putting that stuff on the back burner and focusing more on the easy things, the suburbia piece that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, enough. And uh, I mean, something as silly as I've talked about getting my license to carry for years mm-hmm. and just never did it. Guess what? I, I did it now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, I, I started taking my older son, uh, the 14 year old, and started taking my wife. And I'm like, this is something we're going to invest in. And we're going to get outside and start doing more things outdoors. And my 14 year old, uh, he's been telling me he wants to tinker and build stuff. And you talk about raising them right. And he said he wanted to build a desk or a gamer desk. And I'm like, all right, I'll build a gamer desk with you. But, you know, some of the tools I don't have. So guess what? You're going to pay for them. And if you want to do it, it's not dad going and just, taking the easy way out before it's mm-hmm. time for you to start 
learning that, you know, mom and dad, just aren't just going to provide everything for you. You got to learn to start providing for yourself. So for me, uh, uh, and again, I don't want to discount, uh, as a whole, the impact of all this, but selfishly for me, it's just been a, a, a very positive reset. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you had said something that, that caught my head and I can't remember what it was. Oh, uh, what, what did it for me was, so, you know, I'm an old guy. I don't go on Instagram to check out girls asses. You know, I'm on there. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on there like looking at trucks and yeah. <laughs> honey, look at this cool gun. Uh, but I follow this guy. He's a cowboy. And I saw this picture and it's him and his kids. And they were, they were doing something. It might've been a little video. They're, they're working with horses and this kid's probably six years old and he's got his, um, you know, beat up blue jeans on his cowboy boots, his cowboy hat. And he's out there handling this, this little horse. And I was like, Jesus, if, if the shit hits the fan, that kid's going to be fine, right? That yeah. kid that where they are, they're going to be fine. If the shit hits the fan here, it's going to be a matter of days and the neighbors are going to be taking shots at each other. Things will be burning down. <laughs> My Dude, kids will be. <laughs> and that was for me, that was part of it. It was the, you know, holy shit, man. If the shit hits the fan, uh, I have not done my part as someone who has the skill set to be better prepared for a situation like this. I have not held up my end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And and again, it's not about me. Part of that is uh, maintaining that skill set, which I hadn't done. Uh, Freaking has been, man. The, the, the first time I went to a range while back, I mean, I looked at the guy and just said, you know, dude, treat me as a newbie because I've just sat on my lazy suburban ass the last couple of years and have not continued to hone the skills that I used to have. And, and then going, yeah, I took my wife. I'm like, I'm not going to teach you. I'm going to go get someone else to teach you because I don't want you looking at me getting pissed off at your husband. And then same with my kids. Uh, so yeah, man, it's, uh, <laughs> we laugh. I mean, our, our neighborhood is probably just the Texas <laughs> equivalent of yours. And my neighbor and I kid around and we're like, we had some storms come through a few weeks ago and the power went out and dude, you would have thought that, you know, the Germans had, you know, the Japs had just hit Pearl Harbor again. Yeah. I mean, people freaking out and it just took every fiber in my body to not just respond sarcastically in the little neighborhood Facebook page of people get a fucking grip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, or just with COVID. I mean, I've, I've talked about a lot on the show, the idea that why is it that we think our generation and, and I'm not really speaking, I guess, to, to veterans or people that have, uh, you know, police or fire, people who, who've, who've put their, their, the money where their mouth is, uh, the, the millennials, the people who are living comfy lives who've never scored. What, why do they think that they don't deserve a struggle in life? You know, why is it our grandparents had the, the, um, great depression and world war two, and our great grandparents had the dust bowl and world war one. And mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, a little bit of adversity hits and where, where people, the shit hits the fan. They're, they're buying up all the toilet paper, which I still can't get, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Um, they're fighting <laughs> over stuff. They're and it's like, what just look at, Here's the problem at hand, okay? There's a weird virus. We don't know much about it, and I'm talking back in, in March. We don't know much about it. Roll up your sleeves. Let's figure this out, right? It's It might be dangerous. It might it might kill you, but we have to figure this out. Why do we think that, no, I, I need to hide behind my doors. I need to lock everything down and hope that, what, a wind is going to come and blow it all away? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it, 
I, I think, and again, we, you know, hindsight's 2020. I don't think any of these generations wanted that adversity thrown at them. Uh, life happened and, and it did go their way. I think the difference is, uh, man, I just think we just have it too damn easy nowadays. And, and guess what? That, that's fine. I don't want to be the old get off my lawn guy talking about that. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's the way it is. I mean, with technology, with everything, you know, instant gratification, uh, again, nothing that hasn't been said before, but, I think that, you know, what's going on now is really, it's a microcosm for a lot of things. Uh, I, I think if you went back to our grandparents and great grandparents generation, you know, we tend to historically remember, you know, my, my wife's granddad, I mean, incredible guy, I mean, Marine stormed the beaches in the Pacific. Uh, you talk about guys not sharing stuff. Uh, when he and I met in 2013, I was the first person that he ever opened up to uh, with anybody related to the family about his experiences because he knew I had been through similar stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but now that I've got to know him, that guy will sit around and make fun of the, the, you know, the people from his generation that didn't do anything about it. Kind of like we do now yeah. with the people that uh, just overreact. So I, I think sometimes uh, I don't, I don't want to say revisionist history. Uh, I, I think what, what it does is it, hell, I'll say like a combat, a firefight uh, in, in Baghdad in 2004. And, you know, and I, I've talked about it before, man. I've seen, you know, when the shit hits the fan, I've seen the six foot three, 225 muscle bound stud, you know, cower and hide behind a wall and not be able to react while the, you know, what everyone would have thought before the five foot seven, 135 pound nerd that, Oh my God, I got this guy in my squad. That guy turns into freaking Rambo, you know? Uh, so I, I think what times like do this do is, you know, what's the old cliche, you know, at first, you know, what, whatever cliche you want to use, but just true colors come out. And I think in time you're going to see that, uh, there's going to be plenty of good that came from these experiences. Just unfortunately in the world we live in today, it's a whole lot easier to focus on the negative and, and, and I'm guilty of it too, man. I, I raised my hand of just, and I just talked about in my neighborhood of people freaking out about stuff, but yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good that's going to come out of this. And there's a lot of that millennial generation that we've bashed for years that are going to face that adversity for the first time. And they're going to rise through it and rise above it and ultimately them to just do great things to set the example for the next generation. You know, is it nature versus nature or nurture versus nature, excuse mm -hmm. me. And I don't think anyone knows until they're in that environment. I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to think that I was prepared and I had mentally disciplined myself to be able to handle myself in a competent way when the shit hit the fan like that. But the fact of the matter is I didn't until that stuff happened. And uh, people that say of, you know, I, I didn't do it well every time. Uh, I think I probably did it well better than more often than I didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes you just don't know, man. And it, it, it's crazy. You get used to situations like that, but, uh, you just, it, it's hard to describe. And, and so I, I wonder again, back for the next generation and we go back to facing adversity of, I think you have to go through that stuff, whether it's through COVID, whether it's through combat, whether it's through the loss of a job, whether it's through a divorce, whatever it is. I mean, just adversity just 
reveals so much character in the end. And then it's the choices we make after that to what to do with that character. Do we, do we fight on and, and try to do even better or, Oh, cool. I did it. Yeah. I, I overcame this. So I'm good now. And then the next time you fall flat on your face. Sure. Um, well, let's talk about that real quick. The importance of failure, right? People are afraid. A lot of people are afraid to fail. Um, I don't know if they think that it's a, a, mark on their character or what the story is uh your book you have the a whole section at the beginning i think it was the beginning i remember but um where you're talking about your i think you're in the qual course the ranger qual course and uh, ranger assessment phase, assessment yeah. yep. rap, rap and, week. Yep. and you tore up your knee and an instructor came and said you got two choices you know you can stay here and try to get better maybe you know finish out this event and you know it, it doesn't mean you finish the event and you're you get the tab and now you're good to go i mean you have a, a big uphill battle to climb or you go home and you you know recuperate with your family and figure this out in a future future point so they presented you right off the bat are you going to accept this failure or 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 what are you going to do Man, that was tough. That was, you know, for a guy that had, you know, for the most part, my life, I'd kind of tackled everything that had been put in front of me and, you know, got to, you know, went to ranger school and, and I'll start from the beginning. You, you got a tab or you got a story and yeah. I am forever one of those guys that has a story and, and you can legitimize it. I mean, you know, yeah. Hey, I hurt my knee. I tore the meniscus. I had to have surgery. Uh, the fact of the matter is I have a story and I don't hide from that. It mm -hmm. sucks, pisses me off. Uh, but so, yeah, you know, so I heard it, uh, the first time in land nav and, you know, insert officer joke. Now land nav was never <laughs> one of my strong points. So yeah, feel free to give me all the grief you want. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, I heard it walking to my first point and I literally, and I stayed out that day and I tried to get to the rest and, and I was struggling, uh, you know, it, who knows what I have, I, I think just mentally when I got off to that bad start, I was just in a bad spot and, but you know, I, I fought through it. So, all right, I failed it the first day and, uh, they, they give you a chance to redo it a few days after that. You got to go through a few more things and yeah, look, man, I sucked it up. I, you know, did all the water stuff we had to do. I did the two mile buddy run, you know, with torn meniscus in my knee and, and I'm not trying to sound like, Ooh, I'm tough. I just, I, I did everything I could to fight through it. Mm-hmm. But fast forward a few days later, and it was the, you know, basically a chance to retake the land nav course. And the next event after that was the road march the next day, and that would be, would have been the end of rap week. Uh, you know, before you go into the, the to the first phase. And yeah, man, I was just out there gimping around, and I'd actually found the first couple of points, but and it it hurt. I, you know, are you the are you injured or are you hurt type deal? Right. And I felt at that point that I was injured and yeah, when he just kind of pulled me aside and said, man, you're not looking too good. And, you know, and, and props to that guy, I man, people hear you hear the horror stories about what hard asses the RIs are out there, the ranger instructors. Uh, those guys were great to me. And, uh, you know, he just presented those options. He was like, you can, uh, you know, pass today, and then you're probably not going to pass the road march <laughs> or probably not going to pass the first phase and you'll just get recycled out here and you'll stay out here and we'll see our docs or you can, uh, you can fail. And if you fail, you'll get dropped from ranger school and you'll go back to the infantry officer basic course headquarters and, 
he's like, you know, you probably got a better chance there to get some quicker medical care and do what you got to do to get yourself back to good. And then you can come back for a second go at it. And as much as it pained me to do it, to accept that failure, uh, I just felt that that was the smarter decision. Just being honest with myself of, you know, I, I can keep pushing through this, but I'm probably not going to get any better. And again, I can justify it. And, you know, again, it was somewhat legitimized and I'm not trying to say that to make myself feel better. I mean, I went and saw the doc and yeah, you need surgery. Uh, but yeah, man, it sucked, but it taught me the lesson in the chapter you're talking about. It was the old, uh, quote from Nick Saban, you know, and it was, you know, never waste a, never waste a failure and, sure. and learn yeah, from yeah. it. And what do you, what are you going to do after that to come back? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so important to fail, you know, and it's so important to suck at things. And, and I don't know if people just, like I said earlier, if people feel that it's an attack on their character, um, but it's, it's, you need to embrace it. You need to embrace those failures because Michael Jordan, uh, I remember growing up, uh, in middle school, the teacher had this, I don't know, at the time it was a poster on the wall or something in it. I succeed because I'm not afraid to fail. Yeah. Well, there was also, it was like he, sh and then maybe she had a little write up. It was, it was all the shots that he missed, right? Yep. All the, all the, you know, for every shot he takes, how many he misses. And you can, you can apply it to baseball too, right? The best hitters are only hitting at 30% of the time. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, and I wish it was, there's really no other word for it. You, you got to call it fail. Cause you didn't, you didn't succeed. You failed at it, but it's not a failure per se. It's just a setback and, and you reassess and you go forward or, yeah, but nobody, or, or when, when was the last time? Yeah. When was the last time you opened up Instagram and when you weren't looking for, you know, chicks with great asses, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kidding. But no, when was the last time you saw somebody come on there and talk about, I failed at this today, Yeah, you know? It's all about this, this world we live in of, you know, this persona and, and, you know, idea of this is the best, look how good my life is. And, and you know what? Good for those people. Go for it, man. I'm not, I'm not here to judge, but yeah, man, you, you have to, cliche time, uh, in order to succeed, you have to be willing to fail. And yeah. I have failed more times than I succeeded uh, but I never wasted an opportunity to learn from that failure and come back better on the back end. Sure. You brought up something interesting there about the, the filtered life of, of social media. It's, it tears me up to think about raising a daughter in that world. Oh God, um, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the world now, right. It's like, we always try to, we always try to say, okay, well, where's technology going to be? My daughter's six. So when she's 16 in 10 years, well, let's think back 10 years. Okay. Not much has changed. No, you can't do that. Um, technology is an exponential growth. So in mm -hmm. 10 years, Jesus, I don't know, we're going to have artificial intelligence ruin our lives or whatever it is, but still we can't predict what they're going to be bombarded with. And these poor kids go to school and they're dealing with being kids, you know, being adolescents in high school and being awkward and having to, to fit in. And then they go home and it's still there, you know, it's in their pocket. It's, it's buzzing yeah. them and saying, Hey, look how good this person looks. And you need to look like that. And the truth is that's not how she looks. And that's not how you have to look, man. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I like to think hey. I'm going to be the guy who's going to be like, all right, everyone put your phones away and, and all that. But uh, I don't know. Man, it scares me to death. I mean, I, I had three boys and then got the baby girl last and there's challenges for each of them, but 
man, you're right. That baby girl, man. And yeah, it's, you know, I, I want to raise her in an environment where she is, you know, know that the world is open and more. She is more than capable than any of her brothers to achieve any and everything she wants in life. But I'm also realistic enough to know that kids, especially teenagers, they are mean little bastards. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> cruel. <laughs> and uh, it scares me to death of what that world's going to look like. And, you know, what they always say is, you know, your job as a parent, you know, you make your difference and, and your influence up to about age 11 and 12, because after that, you know, their friends and the environments they're in, that's starts to hold maybe not more, but equal influence and the kind of character and person they're going to be. And so, uh, again, it just goes back to show them what right looks like and talk about the things we're talking about now of it's okay to fail. It's okay to not look pretty all the time and to, to screw up. And, you know, and while they're under my roof, I want to use that opportunity that when they do screw up to course correct and put them on the right path. So as they get older, they have those lessons learned uh, and will hopefully make the right decision, but ultimately they're going to be who they want to be. And all I can do is set the foundation for that, uh, at a young age. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, the same advice, uh, I, I always like to try to go back, I guess, to the, um, uh, the theme of the show, which is veteran mental health. It, it can be given to, to veterans as well. You know, um, put that stuff away, start, start, facing you start facing your issues um you know perseverating on a fake world with fake people isn't going to make things make things better i was going to say if i could just add one point to that sure. if you talk about history that we read in history books when we talk civil war world war one world war two uh history is written by the victors usually mm -hmm. and and so if you equate that to uh we, we choose to, the easy thing is to choose to remember the good times when we focus on what's happened in the past. Uh, it's hard to focus on those bad times and the lessons learned from that uh, because that's, that's tough, man. That involves digging deep. That involves some soul searching. And when you're talking about raising children, how to impart those lessons into them of, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's okay as you're kind of coming into your own to realize that that time in your life sucked. Uh, but ultimately not just remembering the good, but also remembering the bad is what will ultimately help develop you into the person that you need to become in this world. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities to, and, and I, I didn't make this up. This was given to me by a very wise man of, it was raising kids is like, uh, reading the history of warfare because we choose to only remember the good and not the bad. Yeah. And, and I guess that makes sense when you look back on things, you, you, you rarely, uh, think about, think about the bad stuff. Although, uh, and this actually is right along with, um, Legion rising, uh, you know, you yourself struggled with that thing that we all struggle with, you know, and it doesn't, I mean, NCOs and all the way down to, to your private first class, you look back on decisions that you made during trying times right back in back in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever you were um, that can be a very difficult place to live a because we already talked about it your memory's not not what it 
makes it out to be, right? Your, your memory is going to paint the picture that you're slowly developing in your head, and it will be as real as the event itself. How does someone who who continuously lives in the past and and thinks about these decisions that they made and judges themselves as doing it wrong or whatever, how does someone get past that? How do you uh, find, I guess, catharsis in the in the thought spiral? It's it's a great question. And for me, it was, and I kind of touched on it earlier, that that five-year period of my life that I'll never be able to get back. And, and the reason I say that is in that five-year period, uh, in that five-year period consists of basically, you know, my last year on active duty after the, the loss of, you know, my eight men and decisions I had made. Uh, I, I only focused on the negative and I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I just got done saying that we all have revisionist history and we only want to focus on the positive. Uh, well, in this particular case, I only focused on the negative. And for me, what it came down to is, is choice and acceptance of these things. And I could fight these shadows. Uh, and that's just sort of the analogy that I use is I just had this shadow that constantly hung over me and it was decisions I made it as I, as I began to came out come out of it, I, it was acceptance of, I made decisions and I'm not trying to over, you know, traumatize things here. I made decisions and because of those decisions, men died. And it was easy to focus on those one decisions, but it was harder to focus on. I probably made 99 other decisions, you know, and I can objectify it that probably did things that ultimately probably saved someone's ass that day. Uh, you know, not just me, all the men, I'm, I'm not making this, uh, you know, strictly about me. And so for me, it was just coming to terms with, yes, these things happened and I can never go back and make those decisions again. Uh, and while it's easy, there's a quote from uh, Tom Clancy book without remorse, and I may butcher it here a little bit, but it's basically on the lines of the past is what happens when exactly the right things happen at exactly the right place at exactly the right time. And while it's easy to relish and embrace the good results, we rage at the bad. Mm -hmm. And I was raging at the bad. And I didn't choose to relish on the successes that we had and the wins that we have, because again, that was hard. It was hard to realize that despite all that, that trauma and tragedy that we experienced, there were so many good times as well. Uh, and what I ultimately came to discover, you know, through this reawakening process was that, uh, not only, uh, was, you know, I had the opportunity to make the choice on which one to focus at, uh, to focus on. Uh, and you say, okay, well, I, I can choose that, but I, I am my own solution in all this. No one's going to make this choice for me. I have to make it for myself. And, and then once I came to terms with that uh, of acceptance and the power of choice to focus on, you know, the burden of these things that happened to myself and my men, 
there was also so many privileges associated with that, the brotherhood, the bond, the service to our country, standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Uh, and just in time, I learned to, to pivot and focus more on those privileges and learn from the burdens, up the burdens, uh, and use those burdens to impart, uh, you know, a story and a message and a platform that myself and so many others have that while we didn't ask for these things in life to happen, they did. And so what are we going to do with it? Uh, we can choose to have the pity party and be the classic case of what a lot of people, when you, you know, you, you see the veteran, you see the guy with a purple hat cap on and, you know, life didn't go my way. What was me, you know, or I can do something else with it. I can choose to focus on the privilege and acknowledge that these things happen, but use those lessons learned to make a positive impact in the life of others. And it didn't happen overnight. Uh, but over the years it, it has, and I think we've done a lot of good with that. Uh, did you, did you do any, uh, CPT cognitive processing therapy or anything like that? I did not. I just went to traditional counseling. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I, and I touch on the book, you know, I, I was such a hypocrite those five years, guys from the unit would call me, you know, we've had, you know, multiple suicides from the unit since we've been back. Uh, most recent one was only two years ago, you know, 10 years after all this stuff went down mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I gave all the right advice and told everybody they should open up about things and go talk to people. And I, I never did any of those things myself. And it took my mom and I, I share it in Legion Rising, uh, basically looking at me and telling me that I looked dead inside. And this act that I was putting on that I thought I was getting by with people, I realized that, you know, the most important person in my life was seeing right through it uh, was really kind of a, a gut punch to me that I needed to make some meaningful change in my life. So I went to counseling. And even then, man, I, I fought it like crazy. I, I looked for any and every reason to have an out, you know, something the guy would say that, cool, man, I you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You weren't there. You didn't see what I've seen, blah, blah, blah. The traditional crap, yeah. a lot of guys, like I say. Uh, this guy wouldn't have it, man. He, he just stuck with me. And I think for me, it was that, uh, ability to listen, to understand and not listen to respond to what he was saying that ultimately made a huge difference in my life. And when I started to understand what he was saying and not just look for a response that gave me the easy out that I wanted to walk away, uh, it led me to, uh, again, makes a meaningful change in my life. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where at the same thing, uh, I, I started therapy about a year ago and, um, just cause I, you know, I, I buried everything. And I also thought that the stuff that I was, um, I hate using big words cause I have a lot of Marine listeners, but perseverating on, the stuff I was ruminating. Is that the word? I don't know. The stuff that I was, I was, you know, in my mind, uh, what happened to me, which, which if I told my wife, she would say, yeah, what, what's wrong with that? But in my mind, the fact that I couldn't, uh, fly the aircraft, when I was supposed to fly the aircraft that I couldn't continue the mission when I was supposed to continue. I, it was unforgivable. It was, yeah. I was, I was sitting there and thinking, how can I ever go through therapy? Because I'm just going to hit this wall where it's like, that's, there's no redemption in this. There's, there's there. It's, this is what the issue was. And this is something I can never get past. And God damn it. These people with their cognitive, uh, I keep messing up cognitive, um, 
It's CPT. Just look it up if you're listening. Okay. Uh, sure enough, I, I got through it and I was like, oh, oh, these, these things aren't um, indelibly marked in our lives. You know, these things that we, we and, and you can find yourself, you know, I, I still find myself. I'll be driving to work and I start going down that, that path and then I recognize it and I say, oh, wait, that's, that's, that is one path I can take. But again, it just it takes the work. Uh, therapy sucks. I mean, it, I would rather go and, I don't know, sit in a physics lecture than go to <laughs> therapy once a week. No, man, you, you nailed it. And, you know, for me, the truth was, uh, you know, and it's the prologue of the book and I get into it more a little bit later, but that theme of or that, that incident of, you know, cutting myself open, you know, with fragments of another man's skull and uh you know maybe i'm different i don't know that didn't seem like a normal life event to me and it messed me up and i the the truth was for those five years i created my own truth and that was if anyone knows about that they're going to paint me with the scarlet letter of holy shit that dude's jacked up in the head stay away from him I don't want to get close to a guy like that. And so I created my own truth by not accepting that that thing happened to me. Uh, I chose not to accept it. And I created my own, uh, again, my, my own shadow. And the more I tried to fight it, the greater control that it had over me. And then once I learned to accept that thing and to talk about it and to share the way it made me feel, I realized that the real truth emerged and that people didn't paint me with that scarlet letter that I had, you know, cast upon myself. Uh, so yeah, you're right. The truth, truth can be a bitch, man. And we like to create our own truths. And sometimes we need other people to help us dig deep and find out what the truth really is. And more often than not, I think we'll see that it's not, especially in negative cases where we use that to kind of, I don't want to say fit our own agenda because I don't think I ever created this negative agenda. I didn't want to. It just happened overnight. Uh, not overnight, over time, I should say. And it, it was hard to do, man. It was really hard to do. Sure. Uh, but in time, it was the you know greatest decision I ever made. I, I think it's so difficult in the military world because ever since we're kids and you watch your first war movie you think i'm gonna be audie murphy Hell shit, yeah. shit hits the fan i'm superman and then shit hits the fan you go oh i'm a human <laughs> and that was scary i'm scared and uh and you look back on that and you say and then and then what happens we have a culture of people that say i'm hoping it's changing but from what i heard it's it's not in the active duty world uh oh you're gonna go get therapy you pussy you <laughs> know or, yeah. or yep. oh yeah and then and then they kill themselves and it's like oh he took the pussy way out it's like well you can't win either you know both sides of that coin and yeah you you can really you can dig yourself into a hole that uh is very difficult very difficult to come out of and and but no but yeah. know that it's how do, not how do, you, how do you quantify moral injury yeah i can quantify the loss you know below the knee or above the knee or the loss of an arm mm -hmm. you can see that it's tangible yeah uh but a moral injury and what's a moral injury to me is different than what it is to you sure. or what it is to one of your listeners i i always say like you know and I'll, I'll go and do speeches and it's kind of a 
yeah, I always, I, I say, I kind of laugh. I don't mean it in that mm-hmm. way, but you know, I'm very vulnerable and open now when I talk about these things. And when I get done talking, it's sort of like the line forms to the left. And my wife always kids around like, we'll go do an event or something. She's like, all right, I'm going to go take off or go do this while you talk to all these people. Cause people, everybody wants to come up and share the most, you know, veterans and non-veterans, the most intimate, darkest secrets of their life uh, and things that have affected them. And 99% of them start with, well, look, well, what I went through is nothing compared to what you went through. And that's such bullshit. Uh, You know, we all have our own perspective on life and that perspective is shaped off our own life experiences. And tragedy is tragedy. Trauma is trauma. And PTSD is not exclusive to the military and tragedy and trauma, they don't discriminate. And it's there, there is no better or worse. It's just different. And it's the acknowledgement of that and the acceptance of that. And then the choice to ultimately choose to how you want to move forward and what you're going to do with these things, because everybody's got shit, man. I don't care who you are, who's listening right now. Everybody has something from the woman that was sexually assaulted to the veteran that lost his buddy, the veteran that lost his leg, the you know, non-veteran who lost a sibling or the paramedic who had to carry the body of a dead child out of a fire that had, you know, burned this house down. Everybody's got something. And I always say, man, like at the end of the day, we're all veterans of life. And it's, uh, it's what we choose to do with these experiences and, and learn from them and grow from them and impart that wisdom and be open and share it because you never know. And kind of, we touched on it earlier, how, people relate to different things. And if you keep those things pent up inside of you, you're wasting an opportunity to potentially make a positive difference in the life of someone else who will relate to you and your story uh, because it's unique and resonates with them. And, and that's why I'm so vocal, you know, for the guy that wouldn't talk about things for five years. Now I won't shut up about it because (laughs) not everyone is going to resonate with what I have to say. And, And I'm fine with that, but guess what? There are some that will. And I think sometimes the, not I think, I know that the greatest gift that we have as as human beings is the ability to inspire other people that they can look at you and say, you know what, if he can do it, if she can do it, then so can I. Uh, so I, I want more people to be open about these experiences in life and accept them. And, you know, again, you never know when you're going to change the life of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of brings it into full circle. We started at the... Um you know, all these podcasts, all these books, all these, you know, what, what's the point of them? And the point is that you reach someone we're out here and here's our stories and we're not broken and you don't have to be broken, which is another important thing. Absolutely. Um, if you're under that cloud and that rain is falling, just trust me, there's blue sky behind it. it it's, it's going to take work, but it's there. Um, and, and, you know, that despair that that's not there is, is I think, what, what affects so many people. But it is. Um, but just like you went through boot camp, just like you, you know, uh, went through, what do you call it, ranger assessment? Um, yeah, ranger assessment phase. Yeah, just it, when you're doing any of that stuff, it takes one step in front of the other, and you'll get through it. You just have to put the work in. And the days go by, what do they say? The days go by slow, but the years go by fast, and, and you'll be surprised at where you can where you can find yourself. Uh, is, man. The days are long, but the years are short. That's right. That's right. Um, so Legion Rising, I can't recommend more. It's a heavy book. I'm not going to lie to you. You're not going to read it and then, you know, 
cuddle with puppies and, or maybe you should cuddle with puppies and eat some <laughs> ice cream cones. Um, but it's an important book. And, and like I said, you know, I had Rudy Reyes on and I, I loved having him on because everyone looks up to him, right? Everyone looks up to, you know, this, this operator that's just chiseled out of stone. And he had a book called hero living and, and to hear about how he struggled and how he, uh, faced adversity is so important. It's so important for people to hear that, that others are going through this and, you know, you go through your book and, and man, when you hit that second deployment, uh, as I went through each page, and I think this is why your book is so compelling is you, you wanted things to get better. You're like, you know, that, that IED that, or EFP that, that killed the four guys. Um, and then the two that, that died afterwards, you're like, Oh God damn it, please. No one else. And then the other guy who gets uh, killed by a sniper, you're like, man, there's gotta be redemption. Come on, come on. <laughs> I was rooting for you, man. And then I heard about the divorce and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> but sure. in the, but in the end there is, there is redemption in your book. Um, obviously, cause we're talking now and you're in a good place and you have wife and kids and, and things sound like they're, they're going well. Yeah, no, and it's, and, and thank you for the, again, for the kind words about it. And, you know, wrote it in the sense of, yeah, I, I've read enough books about that. And, and it was always this conundrum that I always caught myself in like, all right, people have been on me for years to, to write a book and share the story. And it was, all right, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be, it's going to be raw. It's going to be real. And I, I felt that other books that have been out that I know some of the background of, you always like, there's like that, that last 10%, the really hard stuff that is just hard to open up about. Uh, and I think a lot of times that wasn't done in, in some books out there. And there, there, there are some that have, but you can just almost see where it's missing. So I always said, if I'm going to do this, I, I wasn't going to leave that part out as hard as it was for me, as hard as it was for the people associated with those events. But then came the conundrum, like, all right, in doing that, I am opening up scars of the worst days of many families' lives uh, for just how painful. And you know, man, it, it could not have gone down in a more painful way, the way not only who we lost, but how the loss went down. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, the, the truth, you know, fiction can't hold a candle to the truth sometimes. I mean, it was it's just gut-wrenching. Yeah. And you know, so I just, and that's why I struggled. It took me so long to do it. Uh, but at the end, I, I didn't want to tell that story. And I've, it's amazing how many people have reached out to me and like, you know, pissed off at me, dude, I can't let them crying at your book. This is terrible. You know? And, and that wasn't the intent of it to be, uh, this just, you know, gut punch the entire time. And you're right. It's a hard read. And I tell people, I'm like, it's, it's not an easy read. There's going to be some really hard subject matter and not just the stuff that happened with me and my man. I mean, some of the stuff in that deployment of, you know, the guy coming back to, you know, meet his child on video conference from a different unit. Oh, man. Killed, yeah. killed I mean that oh God, again, you can't make shit like that up. Uh, but I felt it was important to, to go that deep and that raw and that real, for when you do get to the end and you see the good that's come from that and how it is possible to take something bad and however bad that may be. And I mean, back to, we all have our own definition of bad, but to see the ability to, 
to rise above that. And I'm, I'm not anything special. I'm an average dude. And just like, you know, everybody else out there listening. And if, if I can do it, so can you, and no matter what you've been through. Uh, and so I felt it was important to go with that level of what you're talking about. Uh, cause I think that the end as hard as that may have been to read and hard for me to relive, I think it makes the message of the book that much more powerful at the end. Yeah. Well, it's honesty and truth. And, and I always tell, uh, my wife, you know, we talk about some, some, you know, maybe things on the news or something like that. She's like, I, I don't want to hear about that. And it's like, if you don't want to hear about it, I, I understand, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. That doesn't mean exactly. it doesn't exist. And, um, I, I can't remember who, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but it, someone said the first step in writing is opening up your veins and bleeding on the paper. And, um, if you're opening up your veins and bleeding on the paper, I mean, it's compelling from page one. And that's the hardest thing to to read and to face. And it's also the most compelling. And it's, I think it's the most important. I mean, you can't, um, you can't stick your head in the sand. You have to know that this stuff's out there. And I mean, you can choose not to, and that's fine. And I think it's important. I'll just kind of maybe close out with this is, uh, and I'll say this, and this is not meant in any way to discount any of the others, but as, as time has gone on, a lot of the books that you're seeing and, movies and high profile are the special operations guys. <laughs> of course. And, <laughs> and they're great, man. Those guys, trust me, I worked with those dudes all the time. Hell, I wanted to be one of them. Yeah. You know? So I, every kid of the eighties did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Charlie Sheen, man, yeah. he influenced a whole generation. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, that's sort of what has come out of this and, and, and well-deserved. Absolutely. Sure. But yeah. the fact of the matter is there are a whole lot more of me's out there and my men, uh, that went through, you know, similar, different, what, whatever, who cares, went through experiences. Uh, and I think sometimes you kind of paint this mythical uh, and and they don't ask for it. I mean, I I know some of those dudes and they're as cool as they can be and they don't want that, you know, mythical stature, uh, imparted upon them, but that's what people do. Uh, but I think, and, and I'm hoping in time, and uh, again, you touched on this in a different podcast or when your guest did of just, I hope more conventional people open up about their experiences uh, and not wait 50 years like the Vietnam generation did to start telling their stories. Because again, there's so many stories out there that are so powerful and can resonate with people and help other people to deal with the demons that they're dealing with and ultimately help them you know, find that acceptance and start to focus on making the positive choice every day and not the negative from those things that they went through. Uh, so that was another reason that I did it was to hopefully put a very real and raw conventional, uh, story of the war out there. Uh, and there's others that have been told, don't get me wrong. Uh, I just don't think there's enough out there and I hope there's more in the years to come. Sure. Well, I'll put a link to the book definitely in the description. Um, it's everywhere, right? I mean, you can buy it on Amazon and, and, um, what does anyone shop anywhere but Amazon now? Yeah, I was gonna be like Barnes and Noble. Who the hell goes there? You know, they have it on there and Barnes and Noble and Target, Walmart and those. Okay. Uh, but pretty much everyone goes to Amazon and just not that I'm getting any kind of, you know, 
plug from Amazon on this, but they sell it for the cheapest. So okay, we usually where I stand, everybody. <laughs> awesome, but yeah, definitely. Ch- In fact, I'm saying to the listeners right now, go out there and buy it. Let's get some uh, some some copies of this sold. <laughs> give, give back for your time. Hey, you know, Kevin, thank you, man. Uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing, not only with the podcast, but with you know the irreverent warriors and. Uh, you know, I have my nonprofit organization as well. And I just think it's, uh, it's just so important that we all, again, back to a platform that we didn't ask for, but life gave it to us. And I, I just love seeing other people that are relishing in that and taking those experiences and using those to make a positive impact in the life of others, because we never know, uh, through what you're doing and through what I'm doing, how that may inspire someone else to go do X nonprofit or, you know, who knows, whatever the hell it may be, but something that's going to make a positive impact in the life of others. Sure. Uh, so well done, man. And awesome. thank you for all you're doing. What, what's the name of your nonprofit? Uh, Legion eight foundation. So that second deployment, our unit nickname was Legion and we lost the eight men and had always just referred to them as the, the Legion eight, and again, we've had the suicides since sure. then and started as a CrossFit hero wad. Uh, it's a brutally hard workout. Uh, yeah, I saw it in the book. Guy. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good work. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on. Um, yeah. And now I always tell this people whenever I have a good conversation, now you're my friend. So every now and then you'll get a text from me that, I don't know, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, whatever. But I try to keep in touch with everyone. Yeah, absolutely, man. Likewise. Well, you take care. Thank you again for coming on. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Okay. Sounds great, my man. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Take care.